0: Looking forward to Women of Virtue. That is this Saturday morning. Ladies, who never come to that. Uh, you ought to plan on attending. That's going to be from 9 to 12. Breakfast is provided. The men will be cooking a breakfast. That will take place after the first session. And so that is this Saturday from 9 to 12 is the Women of Virtue. There will be three sessions there that morning. We have, we have two different ladies speaking uh, that morning. And I think it will be very good. All right, Acts chapter 15 this morning. We're in verse number 36, and we'll go down to the end of the chapter. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them, Uh, from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God and he went through Syria and and Sicilia uh, uh, confirming the churches let's go ahead and pray father in heaven. Lord, we certainly do love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing this morning. I pray that you would control, Lord, what I say, how I say it. I pray it would be clear. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. I pray that you would work on our hearts and draw us closer to you. May it strengthen us. May it feed us. And, Lord, may we leave here different. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I do pray for that conviction and that drawing that your spirit would work on that person's heart, Lord, that even this morning they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified and honored, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We are back now in the book of Acts, and let's review, let's get the setting back for verse 36 of where we're at. When the book of Acts starts off, it's after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given instructions unto the disciples, he's teaching and preaching to them, and he lets them know you're to wait right here to get... Power from on high from God, and he ascends back to heaven in chapter at the conclusion of chapter one. Chapter two, the power arrives. They're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The empowerment for the work is in place, and you see it just take off. At that point in time, there is one local church in existence. That is it. That is the church at Jerusalem. The book of Acts then focuses on that for the next several chapters. That church explodes. Peter, of course, rises to a place of leadership. He is prominent. He is, by the way, he's a changed man. We looked at that. He is a completely different man than what you see before the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a man who is willing to suffer, who is willing to die, who is willing to take on the persecution, and he does all that. And so we see the church growing by thousands. And as it grows there, and it's, it's in Jerusalem at this, at this time, it's, it's concentrating just simply to the nation of Israel, and all of a sudden, persecution takes off. It hits really hard. We have a lead persecutor that even comes on the scene in Acts chapter 7, a man by the name of Saul. Uh, the, he ends up actually the one who gives permission uh, 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 to stone the very first martyr, a man named Stephen, who was a deacon. They had a small problem arise in Acts chapter 6, and so they selected some deacons for the solving of the problem, so the, the apostles can concentrate on the Word of God and prayer and the ministry they were in. And Stephen, though, was full of wisdom, full of power. The man could preach, he could teach. And this man Saul was there. He's hearing this man Stephen. And, and Saul was, he, he himself was pretty much a genius. I mean, he knew the Bible. He knew truth. And he's hearing this man. And, and he can't argue with him. He can't even argue with the guy. But needless to say, they stone him and they kill him. And then, when we, then in Acts chapter 9, that same man who is persecuting the church, he is on his way to Damascus. Uh, to arrest more Christians and imprison them when all of a sudden a bright light hits him and the Lord Jesus Christ himself makes an appearance before this man and he converts just like that. He himself becomes a Christian. And in Acts chapter 10, we have a key event, major event that takes place. And that is for the first time, finally, somebody goes to a Gentile to preach the gospel. And that was Peter. The Lord appears to Peter. He had to use a, a vision to do it, everything. He appears to Peter, lets him know, listen, you, there's going to be men coming here. You go with them. Uh, and Cornelius was this devout uh, soldier. He, has, he sends for uh, Peter. Uh, the Lord had, an angel of the Lord had directed him to do so. Peter heads there, and he meets up with uh, Cornelius. And it was fast, that was one of the places we got to go in Israel. I actually should have bought pictures of that area right there. And we went to the town uh, where Cornelius was. And, and, he, and of course, Cornelia and his fam, Cornelius and his family, they uh, put their faith in Christ. And then something happens. Word spreads that Gentiles are coming to know Christ. And in one place in particular, it really begins to take off, in a city called Antioch. Matter of fact, the church in Jerusalem hears about it, and so they send Barnabas to go check it out to see what's taking place. So Barnabas says there, he's like, whoa, look at this. And so Barnabas gets impressed. You know what? I'm going to go back after that man named Saul who got converted. By this time, it's actually a few years since Saul's conversion. So he goes, he finds him, he brings him in, and that man's name is now changed, it's Paul. He brings Paul in, and they become the pastors of the church at Antioch. Not long after that, though, the Lord calls Barnabas and Paul out of the church at Antioch for the very first missionary journey. The Lord directs them to leave the church. The church sends them out. They bring a man with them named John Mark. This would be the nephew of Barnabas, a good man. And they head to Cyprus, then they head to the coast off the Mediterranean, into Perga area, Pamphylia, and there John Mark takes off. And from there, they have a treacherous journey up into the mountains. They get into the area of Galatia. They get into Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, uh, Derbe, and Lystra. And just amazing. When they're in Derbe and Lystra, that's when Paul healed the man. They thought, he was, they thought him and Barnabas were gods. And, and of course, they, they let him, we are not gods. You will not worship us. And then some of the Jews came down from Antioch of Pisidia, just caused a ruckus. And they go from worshiping Paul to stoning him and dragging him outside of the city. And, uh, and then they return back to Antioch after that, and they give a report of what was taking place. But there's a problem that's arose. All right? Some of the, what we call Judaizers, those who are claiming to be converted to Christ, and some would be and some would not, those who claim to be converted to Christ were saying that the Gentiles that are getting saved, they had a big problem with that. And if you go back to those messages, I lay out why they had such a problem. with This was a major, major change. And so they said, wait, these guys, they've got to get circumcised, they've got to follow the law of Moses. matter of fact, they're not even saved unless they do that. In other words, what they wanted them to do was convert to Judaism and then convert to Christianity. Some of them thought that was the process. And of course, Paul and Barnabas get involved in this dispute. It heads to Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 15, where this council meets with the apostles to settle this issue once and for all. The first one who speaks is Peter. Peter addresses what was done in the past, how all this came about with the vision of God, how we went to Cornelius. There was no mention of circumcision, no mention of, of law. They were saved by faith through grace. That was it. Then Paul speaks right after that. And Paul says, that's exactly what's taking place. We, we went into Galatia. They're getting saved by grace through faith. These are genuine conversions. This isn't fake. There is no mention of any of these other things. We don't need to put this burden on them. And then James speaks, who is now the pastor at the church at Jerusalem, the Lord's half-brother. And... and he, lets the, he basically calms down uh, all the Judaizers. He says, listen, God has not finished with us yet. We know Gentiles are getting saved. And he goes to what the future's going to look like when he speaks from there. And then from there, they get letters together. And they send the letters with Paul, Barnabas, another man named Silas, who we are going to be introduced today, back to the church at Antioch. And they let them know, listen, you are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. So they were rejoicing. So now we come to our text. Paul and Barnabas have still stayed there for a little while. They're back to preaching in Antioch. But as we read, Paul now says, you know what? It's time to go. We've been here long enough. Let's go back and see how the brethren do. We need to go hit those cities again. We need to see how it's going in Antioch and Pisidia. We need to go to Iconium. We need to go to Derbe and Lystra. We need to go back to Cyprus. And Barnabas, so he goes to Barnabas. Barnabas agrees, but Barnabas was determined to take John Mark, who left them fairly soon. Basically, he served with them in Cyprus, and that was it. Once they got into the Perga area, he left. He left at that point. We don't know exactly why he left, but it was enough to cause Paul to doubt that he should continue with them right now. And so this conflict arises between Paul and Barnabas. It rose to the contentious level, so much so that the two departed company. Barnabas takes John Mark, Paul gets Silas, and they had different directions going back to report. So they divided up. Now, for today in this message today, there's much we can learn from this. The title of this is When Good People Disagree. Paul and Barnabas are both really good men. Both men love God. Both men want to serve God. And they had a strong, strong disagreement. So from that, again, like I said, there's much we can learn of what to do when good people disagree. The truth is we will all have conflict with each other. We're all sinful people trying to work through this, this life together, and we will have conflict. We will see things differently, and it's very important how we handle it. So today I'm going to break this down. If you want to write these down, you can. I'm going to give them to you quickly. I, I got it down to four different Ps here, perspective, providence, pardon, and prudence. So, let's look at when good people disagree. First off, perspective. Perspective. In Acts chapter 15, in the text text that we read, it says, and Barnabas determined, Paul initiates this, he's the leader of it, verse 36, he's the one saying, hey, let us go again, report to every city. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought it not good to take him with them. So, the truth is, all of us will have, at times, conflicts and different disagreements with others. They come between good people. The truth is, all of us can see things differently, and there's nothing wrong with that. In our text, we have Paul and Barnabas. Think about this. They just helped solve one of the most critical issues that the church was facing. An enormous disagreement. They helped solve it. But here they are, and they can't solve their own disagreement right now. Many times, as we're going to see in our text, it's simply a different perspective. This is what happens with Paul and Barnabas. They are looking at the situation from different points of view. Understand that. When you have good people disagreeing, many times the issue is just how each are looking at it from a different view. It's not necessarily that one is right or one is wrong. But it's an issue of perspective. When it comes to perspective, it's our temperament and our experience that determines how we view life. We see that with Paul's temperament and Barnabas's temperament, how they view John Mark is very differently. The fact is, neither are wrong. <clears throat> Paul has one perspective. Barnabas has another one. Paul, it's clear, he was a man of passion. He was a man of desire. When it came to the work of God, he was, there was no holding this guy back. It didn't matter if he was facing death, persecution, imprisonment. It just didn't matter. He was going forward. And so here he is. It's, it hasn't been too long since John Mark took off. It's, this is just a second journey. Barnabas hits him with the idea, hey, we should bring John Mark. I've talked with him. You know, he, he wants a second chance at this. I believe he's ready for this. And Paul's like, that's not a good idea. I don't think you should go. I I don't think, and remember, Paul's perspective, because of the passion he had for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, with his temperament. He looked at people and thought, what can they do for the work of God? So when he considered John Mark, he had doubts. He had doubts. Barnabas, on the other hand, looked at people differently than Paul did. Remember, neither is wrong in this. Barnabas looked at people and thought, what can God's work do for them? He simply had a different perspective on the situation. That's it. Both are good views. The fact is both those perspectives are needed. The balance is good. The balance is right. The truth is we'll all see things differently. It doesn't necessarily make, it doesn't necessarily make one wrong and one right. We see things from a different perspective. That's what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. It starts when Barnabas, and it is a strong word that's used there. It gives you the idea we're coming into a problem. We're going to get a fight. Barnabas is determined to take Mark. It's determined. The word is, is strong. It's in the imperfect tense, which means he's consistent and persistent on this. He's determined. In other words, he basically is telling Paul, I'm not backing off of this. He's going. And so Paul digs in. No, he's not. He's not going. It's not good. He's not proven yet. Maybe the next one, Barnabas, but not this time. Many times when we are of a different perspective, if we can get so dug in that we're determined, this can be a hindrance. Because up to this point, it hasn't reached a sinful level, but it's going to. We don't always have to come to an agreement, but I do know this, we always need to understand each other. Barnabas was not about to consider changing his mind at all it was just if they're going John Mark is going he thought it was good to give John Mark a second chance I can hear his argument listen you know his family Paul this is a good family this is a good man you know his upbringing we need to give him a second chance I have no doubt Mark probably went to him and said listen I'm sorry I want to go when you guys head out again take me I want to be there he wanted to prove himself, and Barnabas, with his temperament throughout Scripture, you see somebody that is the encourager. It's who he was. That was, and that's a good thing. Paul, though, in his perspective thought, "Listen, that's not a good idea right now. Barnabas, maybe, at a, maybe at a, at, a, at a latter time, let's let him get proven more. Maybe let's just let him stay here in Antioch and see what happens, but not now." <clears throat> Paul knew why he left last time. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But whatever the reason was, Paul clearly wasn't pleased with it. This was not out of revenge in Paul's mind. It was out of, one reason, concern for the work of God. Nor do I believe at the same time, Barnabas wanted to compromise the work of God by bringing John Mark. It was out of concern for Mark. Paul did not want Mark to present a problem for them. He didn't think it was time yet for him to go. So think about this. We have two key men in the work of God there in the first century. Both yielded to God. Both wanting to serve. And yet they have a strong contention. They saw things differently. Both coming at this from their own temperament. You could have guessed this ahead of time, actually. Had we been studying the life of Paul and Barnabas and the encourager that Paul was, the passion that Paul had, and we're going to come up to this, we might have, without ever, if we didn't have knowledge yet of what was to take place, and I was to put it before you, that Barnabas is going to hit Paul with taking John Mark. What do you think the response is going to be? We would probably guess they're going to disagree on this one because of temperament, perspective. It got to the place based on the wording that is used, of a sharp contention. This was now a problem. This is where we have where both have been right, now both have been wrong. That brings us, though, to my second point. Providence. Providence. It says in verse 39, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark, and sailed unto Cyprus Paul chose Silas let me jump down to verse chapter 16 and verse 1 then came he to derby and lystra and behold a certain disciples there named timotheus at the same time that this is rising to a level that it should not we see god's providence at work his sovereignty at work God really is incredible how he can even use the times we are wrong for his glory and how he always shows mercy and grace and patience. Again, the Bible says this contention. The contention was so sharp. The wording, the wording is important. It even implies, can be used in this way, a violent altercation. Now, I don't believe this came to blows at all. I don't believe any physical violence took place. I believe the wording is chosen to show us to what level this disagreement arose to. It was sharp. It was a strong disagreement to the point they decided we're going different directions. But in this, even though it got to a level it should not have, and I'll explain why, we see God's providence at work. Because now, We have two teams heading out and not one. I believe it's very possible that is exactly how the Lord designed this all along. I don't believe this is how it should have came about. But I do believe, based on what we're going to see here with what takes place, that this is how the Lord designed for this to happen. And you're going to see God's sovereignty and His providence with what takes place. I think what would have been best without it coming to a sharp contention, would have been somehow either of the men or both of the men saying, listen, Paul going to John Mark, listen, God's laid on your heart to take John Mark. I get it. That's you. I understand that. But for whatever reason right now, I don't think it's a good idea. What we need to do is you simply take John Mark, brother. Let's, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go get Silas. You take John Mark, and we'll meet up at the coast of the Aegean Sea, and we'll see how this thing's going. They didn't settle it like that. It became contentious. They were digging their heels in. Again, I believe it was of the Lord's design based on how everything came about to get two teams. Or you had Barnabas who went to Paul and said, and Paul, listen, I know you are passionate. I understand why you don't want John and Mark to go To The truth is, I got my doubts too. But I do believe the Lord's in it for the benefit even of Mark and of the work. And so why don't you get Silas? I'll take Barnabas. We'll head out there at the same time together. Now, it didn't get to that level for a couple of reasons, and I'm going to tie him. well later on, because Barnabas, when he left, he was, like, he was determined. He was, he was pretty ticked because he didn't go with the church's blessing. Paul did. Truth is, if God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, nothing would ever get done. We see God's providence in two teams heading out, on the mission work now, but we also see God's providence in Silas and Timothy as a result. Once Paul and Barnabas decide we're not going together in this thing, Paul gets a man named Silas. We see God's sovereignty in this. This is going to prove to be very, very helpful. Let's look at this man's qualifications. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn... Well, I'm already there. I don't have to turn there. 1522, it says this about Silas. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed uh, uh, Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Then over in verse 32, and Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So we're seeing, as we get to know Silas, there we know he's a chief man, he's a leader, he's a prophet, he's a preacher, he's a teacher. He was one that the church of Jerusalem selected. When we're heading back to Antioch, this guy needs to go. So he's a leader. We've seen other portions of Scripture. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the, uh, uh, the, the epistles to the Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians. The co-author of that is Silas. Not only does he help Paul with the writing, he also helps Peter in 1 Peter. So he is a key man. And even more so, what's going to be needed, because God knows what they're going to face. He had one qualification, Barnabas didn't, didn't, and that's going to be very important when he heads into Macedonia. Silas is a Roman citizen. Little do they know, God's going to call them into Europe. This second missionary journey is going to take us into Europe. We're going to see the gospel going into Europe. The the first church that gets established is a church in Philippi where they get tossed in prison. You want to know why they got out? They were Roman citizens, both of them. Both of them. You can see God's providence at work. Listen, don't forget that in your life. God's sovereignty is incredible. Even when you don't see him working, like I have no doubt that when Paul and Barnabas met up, we'll get to that later on, um, they discussed it. Like, look how God used this. Not only that, get this. This this is this is one of the most amazing things about it. Think about this. We see God's providence with Silas going, but also with a key player on world missions and a pastor, a man named Timothy. Because they went different directions. Barnabas, being from Cyprus, takes John Mark, and he heads that direction. Paul and Silas, they don't go that direction. Know where they head first? Right back into Durba and Lystri. Guess who happens to be there at that time? Timothy. The Lord knew where he needed Paul. This, Timothy would prove a key man in the first century. Again, God's providence at work. He has two teams going out. He knows Paul's going to need another Roman citizen. This man's qualified. He's a preacher. He just happens to come down with him. The Lord knew everything that was going to happen. You could see the Lord orchestrating it. Again, I believe the Lord wanted two teams. The problem was the contention, the flesh got into control where they should have just agreed on the two teams without it getting to that level. And Barnabas heading out without the church's blessing. So you can see God's providence. Now, many times in the commentaries, everyone wants to look. Well, who was right? As I said, I, I believe both had problems. Both, both. Some people, some of the commentaries, say, well, Barnabas ends up proving to be right overall because John Mark proved himself to be faithful. Um, and so, I, I, I certainly wouldn't lean that way. Um, one, Paul was an apostle. There's authority with that. Paul was leading this mission. Uh, um, that's there. And the fact that the, 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 the big thing for me is is the fact that Barnabas did not go with the church at Antioch's blessing where Paul did. Um, but I, again, I believe both both were right in their perspective but both were wrong in how it all came about. But thirdly, this is important when it comes to when we disagree. We have to understand the other has a different perspective. We have to trust God's providence even when we disagree. We've got to work to come to an understanding thirdly, point is pardon. We do know this from Scripture, that even though they had a sharp contention on this day, neither man held a grudge. Neither of them. This is important. Neither man made this about themselves. Neither one would allow their pride to come into play and just hold it. Once we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, guess who Paul refers to in a very positive light? A man named Barnabas. He didn't hold it. Not at all. They didn't hold a grudge. Paul did not, nor did Paul allow his pride to keep him from using Mark. Once Paul realized, Mark's being faithful. He was using him. We see him in Colossians chapter 4, 2 Timothy of course chapter 4, that's the one where he's near his end where he's requesting him. Uh, 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 Philemon chapter 1, 23 and 24. Paul was going to use him. Paul could have, if Paul had let his flesh and pride get in, he could have stuck with, you know what, I still think he's going to quit one day. I'm not using him. He didn't. Once he knew he's faithful, he used him. There's no grudges, there's no bitterness over this, any of those things taking place. So often today, when people come to their disagreements, they're just determined to hold their grudges. That's sad. Because you're making it more about you and about vengeance and revenge, where you think that is more important than the relationship when it's not. Then lastly, I'll spend a little bit of time here. Prudence. Wisdom, in other words. When it comes to our disagreements and conflicts, we need to know how to respond with wisdom, with prudence. The truth is, Christians are going to have conflicts. We're going to see things differently. And there's consequences if those conflicts aren't resolved right. Number one, here's some, here's some problems if we don't resolve conflicts right between each other within our own church. It can hurt the church, causing some to think, if it grows to a level that's known, they have to choose sides. All of a sudden, a divisive spirit comes in because if it rises to this level, people are aware of this conflict, and, and people naturally are like, okay, well, which side am I on? It leads to division. It can hurt the church. We have to be careful of simple things the devil can use in our church. Valley people and Anchorage people. No, we're one church. That's what we are. Homeschoolers and Christian schoolers. No, we're one church. We have different perspectives. Roy Butler loves that drive. So be it. I have seen, personally, where the homeschool Christian school issue has split and destroyed the church. You worry about the institution God gave you, and that's your family. That's what you concentrate on, all right? We're not going to become two churches. We're not going to become, okay, we got all of our Christian schoolers here, homeschoolers over. We're just one church. That's what we are. It's also when conflict arises, it's a bad testimony before other Christians, especially the new ones, especially the new converts seeing that take place. Thirdly, it cripples our outreach to reach others. It does. It'll just cripple it. It's such a sign of carnality. When carnality is in control, obviously you're going to have trouble with spiritual work, and we're going to have trouble reaching others. Fourthly, it makes it very difficult when you're in this conflict to have the actual preaching of the Word of God work on your heart. You're coming in, you're almost too consumed with what the other person is doing. You're too obsessed with that. You're not ready for the Word of God. It's bearing little fruit in your life. It begins to hinder you. It hinders your devotions. Another consequence, it certainly gives cause for the enemies of God to rejoice. They would love to hear of conflict. Would love it. Do you know how many people would just rejoice over if we had a major split over something? They would just be rejoicing. So, what do we do? All right, what do we do? We see good people disagree, it's going to take place. We all will have conflicts. We have different backgrounds, different personalities, so we see things from different perspectives. Me and Greg were drawing out on uh, Friday night at the work night the church chapel building. I got to go in this way. He has to go in this way. I just said, "I'm the pastor, dude. It's going this way." That's what's happening. I don't care that you're building, and I can't even build a Lincoln log house. This is how it's going to look. No, not at all. You know what I realized at the time. He has more wisdom in this area than I do then that's how, that's how it'll go. <clears throat> Don't let your pride come into play. We've got to handle these things correctly. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's some important things here that help us when we are dealing with conflict with each other there any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints do you not know that the saints shall judge the world and if the world be judged by you are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? know you not we shall judge angels how much more? things that pertain to this life. Do you remember the first time you read that verse, you're like, actually, I didn't know that, (laughs) Paul. I didn't know I was going to be judging, but anyway, sorry. That's just how I read sometimes. Verse 4. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He says this, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? A brother go to law with his brother? And that before the unbelievers? Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. Because you go to law one with another, why do you, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Let's take some a couple of lessons of here before we close tonight. Because I think what we have here is is very important. Paul is dealing with how to handle conflict within a local church. He starts off by making the simple argument, we are going, one day we are going to be in a position where we're judging the world and angels. He said, you know, this is what our future is. And yet now we're dealing with these small, tiny matters, and you guys aren't marking one person among you to actually have some wisdom and discernment to judge the matter? He says, don't go to a secular judge. Don't go before the world. Now, this, by the way, let's make this very clear based on Scripture with Scripture with Romans 13. This is dealing with civil matters, clearly in context, not with criminal. With criminal matters, oh, no, we're going to the law for criminal matters. That's exactly what you do. This is civil matters that Paul is dealing with. Romans 13, criminal matters come up. No, 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 we're going to the law. That's exactly what we're going to do. Basically, what he says is this. You find one who's not involved and is spiritual. Somebody who has some wisdom. Somebody who has a close walk with God. Obviously, it's always going to be best to use the pastor in these cases, but it doesn't have to be as we see here in the text. The pastor certainly needs to be aware of the conflict that's taking place. And then the simple thing is, if, you, if you're going to agree to that, you agree to what is decided. That's what you have to do in your own heart. I'm going to agree to what's decided. But what if the decision is wrong? It might be. You might come before me, and I might get that thing completely wrong. It's possible. It is. I might get it wrong. So what do you do if you get it wrong? He tells us, doesn't he? Look at verse 7, the last half. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? It's possible that I'll get it wrong. But you said ahead of time, listen, this is whatever it is. I'm going to let this solve it. I'm going to trust in, And I'm going to get to this more in a second. Trust in God's sovereignty with it. You have to be ready... To take wrong, to suffer yourself, to be defrauded. These are, these are some of the texts in the Bible that Christians would love to remove, is this stuff right here. We would. Christ is our example of this, by the way. 1 Peter chapter 2, of course, 23 and 24. See, this is seeing the damage a conflict can cause to your testimony. The testimony of the church has more important than you being right. Faith, I've said it many times, is more important than your feelings. It is. If you don't determine ahead of time how you're going to respond, anger will set in, bitterness will come. But your testimony is so important. It's more important than being right. This goes against the worldly philosophy that we've all been raised with, and that is you looking out for you. And what you deserve. We can see even the wickedness of our culture. I read a sad story how what? A fight over a parking spot led to the one person taking out a gun and killing the young mom of 24 years old, shooting her dead right in the back as she turned around because they disagreed over a parking spot. Paul says, no, listen, if it's wrong, suffer yourself to be defrauded, think of your testimony. Vengeance is not ours. Even a non-Christian philosopher said this, Plato. Listen to Plato's words. The really good man will always choose to suffer wrong rather than to do wrong. That's a really good point he makes. Again, I remember I've I've given this illustration before, but I'll never forget it. The work at Sohon in, in, in New Guinea was going. I had Brother James, and, and they'll be listening to this message. They actually use our messages now in the Bible College in Port Moresby. And and an issue had come up over flip-flops, sandals. Flip-flops, I'm not kidding. All of a sudden, I, word gets down to me, it happened that quick. Um, James has just resigned the pastoring of the church at Liberty in Sohone. And church is splitting. I'm like, what? So I head down there. Get a, it's a village, so it's easy. It's not like here. I get everybody to get. Whole church, we're having a meeting. I meet with the families that were James' family, and another family in the church. So what started was, James, let's see if I can remember this right. Yes, another little girl in the church who was friends with Brother James' daughter. They were both little girls, probably around six years old, five, six year old, that's all. James thought the other girl had his daughter's flip flops. He's the pastor. So he went to her and said, Oh, those are my daughters. Give me the shoes. And he took them. Well, her mama wasn't having that. Her mom went to her and said, No, no, those aren't your daughters. I got those for my daughter. Those are her shoes. Well, James was determined that those were his daughter's shoes. And sharp contention arose over a pair of flip flops. To the point, he resigned the church. I'm done. And so anyhow, we had the meeting, and we resolved the issue. He ended up staying in as pastor of the church. But you want, And James will tell you, you know what I grilled him on? This right here. I said, you should have suffered yourself to be defrauded. I said, this is not worth what just happened over a pair of flip-flops. And I told him, I said, you will have years to recover from this simple event right now. I said, it wasn't worth it. You used no wisdom. I said, it doesn't matter who the shoes are. And I took the shoes. They <laughs> um, I settled it, actually. I gave them to James, not for his daughter. I said, James, they go in your office. I said, you leave them in your office as a reminder of what took place with how quick this thing can escalate and get out of control. Now, what are keys for this? If you're going to suffer yourself to be defrauded or submit yourself to a decision, listen, you're going to need humbleness not pride. Don't let pride get in the way. Humbleness. You can pray about it, Lord. Settle this. You know what's right. Trust in the Lord. Faith in trusting God to work it out. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is key. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I think this is the verse I want. I hope I'm not wrong in this. Yes, yeah, this is what I want. This is it good, good verse right here that helps us. Look at verse 22 and 23. Speaking of Christ, he says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, he threatened not. So obviously Christ is clearly suffering himself to be defrauded. He's getting ready to take on the sins of the world, the man who was sinless and perfect. Where did he draw strength from? Look at this. But committed himself to him that what? Judgeth righteously. In other words, God knows exactly what's right. He does. Trust him. Trust him. You gotta have humbleness and faith and trusting in God. And another key is this. Again, I brought this up many times. It's not just an action, it's it's how you decide to be. Living a life of forgiveness, learning to forgive one another, to let it go. To let it go. Knowing you do right, not because of the goodness of the other person. That's not why you do right. Because it's easy to find in each other a whole lot that's not good. You don't base your goodness on the goodness of the other person. That's a flawed, miserable way to live life. You base your goodness on the desire to do what's right before God. You make it about him. And as our church grows, you know, these are things we have to keep in mind to stay united, to stay of one mind. We'll have different perspectives. That's good. We'll need a balance. And when disagreements arise, we simply come to an understanding and we agree, nope, we're not going to put a position of us being right over our faith and over our testimony. We want to honor God. And again, we're not dealing with sinful matters here. We're not allowing a disagreement that's not sinful to become something that is sinful. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And we do this for Christ's sake, not for ours. Desiring our testimony, even above being right at times, desiring to honor God above that. With heads bowed and eyes closed.